All right, well, in just a moment, I'm going to be talking from the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, if you'd like to open up your Bible to the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter. You'll be uh, ready to read along with me. I uh, have been in the Northwest for nearly 20 years, and one of the things that um, became true for me after I had lived here for a little while is that I really began to uh, become a coffee drinker. Um, it was also about the time that Starbucks was just really taking off. And, um, Corrine, I'm missing my first two slides. Are they still back there or what? There it is. Thank you. Um, so as most of you know, Starbucks originated here in the Northwest and there were three guys that founded the company. They were pretty young guys. A couple of them were teachers and uh, one was a writer. And they had been taken by the coffee roasting of Alfred Pete, uh, also known of, uh, of, from Pete's Coffee. And so they uh, decided that they would bring his roasting and his beans to the Seattle area and they opened up the first store downtown that a lot of you have no doubt uh, visited. And uh, what I didn't realize is that in the first 10 years of business, they never sold a cup of coffee. They only sold beans. And you probably knew that already, but uh, coffee beans and tea leaves and some spices. Um, but around uh, the early 80s, a guy by the name of Howard Schultz came along, and he was actually an appliance salesman at that point. And uh, coffee makers were, were some of the appliances that he sold. And he noticed that Seattle was buying way more coffee makers than most of uh, the other larger cities across the country. So he actually made a visit out here just to see why are more people buying coffee makers here than in other places. And he discovered Starbucks. And he absolutely fell in love with Starbucks, both with the philosophy behind uh, wanting to have a quality product and uh, the, the coffee beans that they sold. Uh, by, I think it was 1982, he actually hired on with them. He left the company he had been a, a, a salesman with and became the director of marketing for Starbucks and did that for a couple of years and absolutely enjoyed uh, you know, the role that he had with that fledgling new company. Uh, they opened another couple of stores that, again, just sold the beans. Uh, but then uh, this big defining moment happened for Schultz in that he made a trip to Milan. And while in Italy, he was exposed to uh, the coffee cafe, the coffee shop, the coffee bar. And immediately the light bulb came on. He said, what are we thinking? Why are we not serving cups of coffee as well as beans? And so he came back just way excited beyond himself to uh, the founding guys to say, we have got to start opening coffee bars. We got to begin to serve cups of coffee in our stores. And they were like, no way. We're not going to compromise our mission of providing the best coffee bean that's possible by uh, beginning to serve drinks. And he could not talk them into it. So he began to open up his own little shops here and there. And about two or three years later, uh, these guys decided, you know what, uh, let's sell out to Howard and we'll just focus on uh, the division that they had created, Pete's, uh, in San Francisco. And so uh, Howard bought out Starbucks, introduced cappuccino, latte, 
a thousand other mixtures of coffee drinks to the American culture. And he also introduced to us the Starbucks way. And you've been there, you know. You get greeted when you walk in the door. Uh, they are very uh, careful to have a certain kind of atmosphere in terms of pleasantness and uh, interpersonal contact, taking your order. Of course, they've introdu introduced an entire lexicon to us. We now speak a whole coffee speak that didn't exist just a few years ago. And if they don't get your order right, then they want to hurry and rush to get it right uh, at no cost to you. Or if the service ended up taking too long, the line was long or something like that, then uh, they have a way of either giving you your order for free or giving you some kind of coupon for a later free beverage. But aside from that, the whole idea of creating the third place, right? Home, work, and then a third place where we can meet friends or meet contacts and in a comfortable setting uh, connect with people. Now, when you hear Schultz, who is still extremely zealous and passionate about Starbucks, both the product and the experience, when you hear him talk today, he still sounds out of his mind about how awesome it all is. And you have to wonder why. And uh, he'll just be very plain and tell you, I want to have the number one coffee business in the world. And here's how we get there. We will serve you better than anyone else so that you won't wince too much when you pay $4 for a cup of coffee. And we'll provide an ambiance, we'll provide a setting for you to be able to have a third place. Now, I've said all that to say this. There are better, higher, holier reasons that we would care about service than market share, than being number one in an industry, than the profitability that that can bring. So we are in these last few days of Jesus' life. For this, the series of these talks, we have been zeroing in on what did the last week of Jesus' life look like? What was he emphasizing? What was he saying? You've got to make sure you get this. And one of the things that we found out is that he said, you've got to get it. That the life that is worth living, the life that you're going to want to stand before God with someday, has to be holy and pure. We talked about that several weeks ago. And then he said, you've got to get to a place where you can trust God better and first. Better than anything else. First and foremost, above everything else. That you can trust God more than money. And worship Him with that trust. And that you come to a point in your relationship with God that you can see God at work. In the culture around you. You can see something of the signs of the times. You know what's going, what is God up to? And you can join Him in whatever He's up to. And then today, Jesus is going to talk about serving God, serving others as a servant. He's going to say to us, you've got to get it. The life that is well lived, the life that is the kind of life you want to present to God someday when time here is over, is a life that is a servant. 
Got any buyers? Let's see what Jesus had to say about it. So in John chapter 13, let's look at what is probably a familiar text to some of you. We'll pick it up in verse 5. This is uh, hours before Jesus would go to the cross. And he's having his last supper, if you will, with his disciples. And uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 3, if if that's not what I said. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now if you'll move ahead in the story, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place and he said, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you'll do them. You know, you have to transport yourself back in time and get into the context of what just took place. You're a disciple. You've been walking with Jesus nearly three years. You have heard remarkable teachings. You have seen uh, out-of-this-world miracles. You have uh, witnessed a compassion, a love, a discernment, an understanding beyond anything that you've ever seen in a person. And now as you gather for this Passover meal, with whom you are convinced, you're becoming convinced, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the anointed one of God for whom we have waited thousands of years. As you are becoming convinced of that, suddenly he gets up and he disrobes and he begins to wash your feet. He begins to pull sandals off of your feet and begin to wash. The incredulity of the moment is beyond anything you've had before. And he says, I want you to get this. If I have served you, you must know and you must understand how and why our Father would have you serve others. So how do we go about that today? The whole foot washing idea. You don't get nervous. We're not going to start coming and yanking your shoes, all right? Because uh, what Jesus had in mind is way more practical than what that symbolic gesture represented. Ways that we serve and care for others, foot wash, if you will, today, are things like buying groceries for for someone that maybe can't get out and, and get their own groceries or maybe can't afford their groceries. 
helping someone with some repairs around their house or with their automobile that they either can't do, don't know how to do, but you do. Uh, taking care of some children for some harried, hurried parents that need a break. And you can provide the break. Or giving money. Maybe it's not even extra. Maybe it's not even something that you can afford to be without right now, but you felt this like divine stirring, and so you gave to help someone else in their time of need. Or there was uh, an opportunity to volunteer, to make a difference, to jump in there with some of your time and with some of your ability, and so you did. Or uh, to visit those who are sick. When they're in the hospital or soon after they've gotten home and they're still limited and confined. These and so many other things that we can mention are ways that we get at what Jesus was talking about today. But the, the point that we've, we've got to understand, friends, this is not project by project. This is not... I have this time over here when I'll serve, but this time over here is when it's for me and all this kind of... For Jesus, it was a 24-7 deal. It is the identity of being a servant who goes about life serving. Not just jumping in a project every now and then. So... It raises a question, how? How do we go about that? And I think Jesus has shown us and is teaching us the components that go into that. Let me mention these very briefly. The first is this, and I'm going to use the word serve to help us get at this. The S standing for security. Notice in verse 3 of chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that he had come from the Father... And would soon be returning to the Father. Took off his outer garment, took up a towel and a basin and began to wash feet. In other words, Jesus was able to do what he was able to do because he was so secure in who he was. You get what we're talking about here? Suppose that in your relationship with God... You became absolutely secure in His love. You knew. It becomes a part of your identity. I am a beloved son, daughter of God. Then, friend, you then have capacity to serve others with love. Because you're secure in His love. You, you had not got it, you can't give it. You can give a pretense. You can act like care and compassion and love and so on like that. But, you know, that is a short-lived fuel. You'll run out of that pretty quickly. You can only do that for a while. But if you are secure in His love, then you can give love for a long time because you kept getting love. What if you were secure? in the patience and the long-suffering of God. I mean, you knew. <laughs> I'm a piece of work. 
in progress. And God keeps cutting me slack. God keeps giving me grace. God keeps being patient with me. When you are secure in that, then you are able to give that to others. You're impatient, you go, I just don't have patience. Because you don't live in it. You're not dwelling in all the patience that God has for you. We could talk about 15 other characteristics. That if I'm living in that, if I'm secure in that with the Lord, then I'm able to disrobe myself and to, in a humble way, serve other people in the ways that God has been serving me. When God loves me, He's serving me with love. When God's patient with me, He's serving me with His patience. And giving me the wherewithal to do that unto others. But let's look at the E word, which stands for ego. Because this kind of takes us to the polar opposite of what I just said. And I'm not so much talking about ego in the way psychobabble talks about it. I'm really talking about it more in the way of egotistical or arrogant or kind of self-focused and self-centered. That's what I'm talking about with ego. Uh, it's often been referred to like this. It's edging God out. As I think about me, myself, and I. Friends, because we don't get the S taken care of, and there's not this God-given kind of security to us, then we're clawing and scratching for it with ego. We're trying to secure ourselves with the applause of men and the accolades and the ad admiration of others and having others think well of us. All of this runs in a counter direction to humility and to giving yourself away. And so Jesus is saying, if you're going to learn from me, the Master, and you're going to do what you have witnessed me do today, you must be secure in the Father. You must be getting free of ego and the ego needs and drives. And you must get it settled. What's the reward? What are the outcomes from living the life of a servant? Friends, it is not the crowds, the onlookers, that we serve. We always serve an audience of one. Paul admonished us to always serve as you're serving unto the Lord. And so whether you're serving children, or homeless, or the aged, the mentality for the follower of Christ is, I'm actually serving God, and I'm, I'm getting to do it with this person who is before me with flesh and bone. And when I'm doing that as unto the Lord, then whether or not I get a thank you, an attaboy, a word of appreciation, some kind of recognition, whether or not I get any of that is irrelevant. Because I wasn't doing it for them and for that anyway. I was doing it for the Lord and His pleasure. Now, we come into a service like this today, you know, and if there was a song that inspired you, we have this tendency to think, 
Gosh, I'd like to be able to serve God with a voice like that. Or if there was teaching that was meaningful, I wish I could be able to speak like that. Or if there's instrumentation, you go, oh, I wish I could play an instrument like that. You say, no, you're getting the ego and the wrong reward in mind here. See, what I'm talking about is where you do the things that things aren't so much noticed. See, he ran into this with his disciples, you remember? As he uh, is approaching Jerusalem, and they're all walking along the road, and the disciples are in this kind of animated banter with one another. Uh, and one is saying, you know what, when, when, when Jesus comes into his kingdom, I'm going to be on his right hand. And this other guy says, well, I, you know, when he comes into his kingdom, I'm going to be on his left hand. Which is to say, I'm going to be on the right hand or the left hand, the place of influence, the place of power, the place of admiration, all these kinds of things. And when Jesus begins to overhear their talk about who's going to be the greatest in his kingdom, they say, what are you guys talking about? Oh, there's a moment. <laughs> uh, well, Jesus, you know, we were kind of talking about who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom. And he does this remarkable thing in that moment. Pulls over to the side, and apparently some children were nearby, and he called them to come to him, and he takes one of the children, and he puts the child on his lap. He said, listen, the people that are great in my Father's kingdom are the people that are last. The last shall be first. It's the people that would welcome a small child like this where there's no real recognition for doing that. So friends, along that scale, some of the best service that's happening today, and you don't have to tell them, is down the hall with the children. You don't see them. Nobody's over there cheering them on and affirming them and patting them on the back and yay, keep doing it, and you're awesome and I so appreciate it. They're just changing a diaper. Telling a story. Playing a game. Serving a snack. Taking a child to the bathroom. Bringing a smile to the Heavenly Father's face. We have the wrong rewards in mind. And ego gets in the way. Jesus went on to expound... It was like a master who went away and he entrusted to some of his servants money. He gave one of his servants five coins. He gave another servant two coins. He gave a third servant one coin. And he said, uh, make me a prophet. I'll be back soon. The guy with the five coins went to work, made ten. The guy with the two coins went to work, made four. The guy with the one coin said, this is a lot of responsibility. I think I'm just going to bury it. So I don't lose it. The master comes back. The five coin guy that had made ten. Well done. The two coin guy that had made four. Well done. The one coin guy that had buried it and basically done nothing with it. You are wicked. Get away from me. I don't want to see you anymore. 
The point being is this, friends. Jesus, as the creator of our lives, has given each of us a bunch of coins with our time, with our talent and abilities, with our treasures and resources. And He's off to a far country soon to return, if you will, to see what we have done with what He has entrusted to us. Have we been able to serve and multiply the blessing and multiply and extend the grace of God and extend the kingdom of God in His absence? So that when He returns, we get to hear what? Here's the reward, friends. Well done, my faithful servant. Oh, did I fail to mention to you that the guy that took five coins and made ten and the guy that took two coins and made four... The master said, you've been so faithful with little, I'm going to give you a lot. The point being is that there are rewards in heaven that are incomprehensible to us right now that depending on how you've served in this world and in this life will directly relate to how you will be rewarded then and there. There are levels of reward that go on in heaven based upon how you served here. So Jesus said, have the right reward in mind. It's not about the attaboys and the accolades and the applause. It's not about the recognition of men. It's not about you esteeming yourself to be of worth and greatness. It's about being secure in Him. Able to be selfless and humble. Do even the anonymous and hidden things. You go, well, how do I know what that is? The V stands for vision. That is to say, He shows you. Jesus, why do you do what you do? Jesus, why do you go where you go? Jesus would tell you in John chapter 5, verse 12, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus, why are you washing feet? Because the Father allowed me to see dirty feet. And I heard the call to wash. They only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. And my Father in heaven wanted to do a cleansing work about these disciples. I am joining Him in that. Jesus, you walk into this area where all these infirmed and sick people are. Why did you go to that one guy and heal him and not everybody else? Because this is the one whom I saw my Father dealing with at that moment. And I joined the Father in what the Father was doing. Friends, this is all relationally based. This is not some kind of guilt manipulation thing today. Tighten the belt, roll up the sleeves, get out there and just start serving like crazy and you know wreck your life. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about this in your relationship with God. He will show you, point out to you, highlight things for you, invite you to serve. He'll allow you to see things. Some of you see 
what's going on with our nursery. Jump in there. Get on a rotation. If God's allowing you to see that and, and, and stir your heart about that, respond to that. God's allowed some of you to see what's going on with CSS and with Promised Land. Jump in there. God's allowed some of you to see that we do greeting around here and we do refreshment and, and hospitality type things around here and we do various uh, setup and cleanup kinds of things. Then jump in there. He's allowing you to see these things and stir you about those things. Some of you uh, are, are seeing that we're serving our community with ESL during the week. That we're trying to be meaningful to some teen moms around the area. I could go on and on and on, but the point is this. If He's allowing you to see some things and stir you about that, then it's in your relationship with Him, His Lordship, your fellowship, as to whether you're going to respond to that. And, and you know, I'll just say the obvious. Uh, game playing is a waste of time. Because, you know, I, I don't think I saw that. God knows what you saw and what you didn't see. He caused you to be able to see what you saw. So don't play rationalizing games like, uh, I don't think I saw that one. Yeah, you did. And then let me wrap it up this way. How do we get at this thing of serving? Experience serving it. Get in there and do it. This is one of those things that, friends, you... There's always some benefit to some study and some reflection and some, you know, examining of a, a, a model or example, that kind of thing. But bottom line, I mean, the best way to learn how to pray is not read a book on prayer. The best way to learn how to pray is pray. The best way to learn how to serve is to serve. And we're going to offer classes that will give you biblical uh, principles behind service. We do a network class around here that shows you about spiritual gifts and temperaments and, and uh, personal styles. All these, That's wonderful stuff. We'll be doing it all over again. You know, we just did some of that. You don't have to wait for any of that. God shows you something. You're stirred by it. You respond to Him. You serve. Do it. Irrespective of anybody giving you thanks and applause. So, stories told from a long time ago when they used to make the tall buildings without all the metal and glass that we have today. In the old days, they used to make it with wood and with stone, right? And uh, a guy comes up to a construction worker one day, and the construction worker is down on the ground, and he's got these tools, and he's carving on this big hunk of stone. And the, the passerby says, what are you doing? And the worker says, well, I'm, I'm carving and I'm shaping this stone down here so that it fits in up there. It's going to be hoisted and put into the side of the building. Friends, that is exactly what God's up to with you and with me. He's forming and fashioning us down here so that we fit in up there. Are you cooperating with the shaping that He's doing in and on you down here? We're going to learn how to live in time. 
before time is no more. Jesus said, if you're going to get it, you're going to learn about the investment of time. The investment is you. The spending of your life being a servant. Will you respond to that today? Will you pray for God's guidance in serving? Say, okay, God, maybe I haven't been real careful about listening and watching for what you're doing around my life. I will right now. Will you, will you make that commitment? I'm going to be a person that prays. And say, okay, God, how do you want me serving? Where do you want me applying my time and my talent and abilities, my resources? Will you pray? Will you approach a Meadowbrook leader and explore some avenue of service? You can talk to Sherry uh, or Jess about the nursery. You can talk about Bree or, or Donna about uh, children's ministry. You can talk to some other leaders about some of the other things. We'd, we'd, you go, okay, I, he's stirring me right now. I know I need to do something. Well, then will you make a commitment to talk to one of our leaders about plugging in? Will you follow through? Some of you are already in there. You're already serving. But you're very tempted to quit. You're running out of fuel. And maybe it's related to how securely knit you are to the Lord or if you've got the wrong reward in mind or whatever other factor that God can address. Will you persevere? Will you allow God to do something in you that keeps you in the game? So that He continues to shape us down here so that we fit in up there. Pray. Father, thank You for the reminder from Jesus' life about the call to humbly wash feet. And Father, I, I pray for my friend right now that is especially conflicted. On one hand, hearing the call, but on the other hand, feeling the tug of culture or personal preferences. Lord, I pray for Your Spirit to be mighty in us today that we might be able to faithfully follow. In Jesus' name, amen.